Good morning. You take your Bibles, as the slide says, and turn to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read the first six verses, but we're going to focus in on verses 4 through 6. first three verses probably won't be on the screen, okay? I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is Decision Sunday, and we've already been having decisions made, and this has been a month that we've focused on people taking the next step in their journey of faith. And some have done that already, and we praise God for that, and We believe that there will be more today that uh, we're already aware of. And so that's good. That's great. Uh, The Holy Spirit is doing His work and prompting people, encouraging people, prodding people, convicting people uh, to take that next step. One of the things that uh, comes to mind, though, sometimes people ask, What's the difference in New Hope Christian Church and other churches? And usually it comes down to just a couple things. If they have a past uh, experience in churches. But it brings to mind, why are there so many churches? So many different kinds of churches. In fact, if I were to ask you, how many church denominations are there in the world? What would your answer be? Dave says thousands. How many? Would it surprise you to know that current estimates among those who who try to keep statistics of such things, current estimates are that there are between 41 and 45,000 different denominations in our world today? Yeah. 41 to 45,000. And there are those who quote those numbers quite proudly as if that's something good. I personally believe it's a tragedy that throughout history, mankind has fractured and splintered and split the body of Christ into so many different kinds of churches. And all of the divisions of the religious world are a result of violating one or more of these seven foundational statements made by the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. And instead of preserving the one body of Christ, men have created all of these denominations. And instead of clinging to the one hope, many have set their hope upon this world only. But you need to know, if you don't already know, that there is and always has been and always will be a oneness about God. 
a oneness. He's not divided. There is no division with God. Back in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, Paul took note of all the different divisions that were taking place in the Corinthian church. They were dividing themselves over who their own teacher was, who they were following. And so as a result, some were saying, well, I follow Paul. Others, well, I follow Apollos. Still others said, well, I follow Cephas, Peter. And there were even some who said, well, I follow Christ. And they were causing divisions in the church. And Paul warned them against dividing among themselves. Why? Because Christ is not divided. Paul wasn't crucified for anyone. No one was baptized into Paul's name or Peter's name or Apollos' name. And yet the Corinthians were dividing themselves into groups based upon who their leader was. And so all these divisions among churches and all these different kinds of denominations still cause problems for people today. People that are considering the claims of Jesus. People that are considering how to become a part of the church. People considering, what must I do to be saved? And they see all these different denominations holding up the Word of God. You know, holding up the Bible is the Word of God. And yet at the same time, each one's teaching something just a little bit different. Thinking, well, our way is the only right way. And each group will rally around some portion of the truth. They will assert their right to exist because they stress a few truths that aren't being stressed by someone else. And so people that are sincerely searching for a church wind up thinking, well, one's as good as another. The fact of the matter is, one is as good as another as long as each one is teaching the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But unfortunately, not all teach the whole truth. Most of what they teach is true, but they often leave some things out that are very important. Usually, something that Paul mentions here in verses 4 through 6. So in our text today, Paul gives us these seven fundamental, foundational truths that every church should stand upon so that there could be unity. The first one he says, there's one body. One body. Now, in Paul's day, there was still this alienation between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews thought, Jehovah God was their God and no one else's God. He certainly wasn't the God of the Gentiles. The Gentiles didn't have any part of God. And yet Paul has already written back in Ephesians, the second chapter, verse 14, that he, Jesus himself, is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. In other words, Christ made Jew and Gentile one in him. And in Ephesians 2 verse 16 he writes that he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. You see, when men are at peace with God, they can be at peace with each other. 
Did the Jews want to be one with the Gentiles? No. But Jesus made it that way through his death on the cross. Now in our text, Paul says there's one body. And all through these seven phrases, one emphasizes the idea there is but one for both Jew and Gentile. Now, what does this one body speak of? What does it refer to? Well, obviously, it speaks of the church because the church is the body of Christ. In other words, there's one church. Now, in the world of Paul's time, there were a lot of different pagan cults to choose from, but Christianity isn't like that. God never intended that there be one body for the Jews and another body for the Gentiles. He intended for there to be one body that included both in that body. Well, let's put that in today's language, today's religious culture. God never intended that there be one body for the Christian church and another body for the Methodist church and another body for the Baptist church and another body for the Catholic church and another body for the Presbyterian church and so on and so on and so on. He intended that there be one body that included all that are in Christ. And the church is the body of Christ and there's only one body, as Paul states here. You realize, don't you, that when Paul wrote these words to the Ephesians, there were no denominations? They weren't. There weren't. There was just the church. But as the years went by, there began to be a gradual departure from the pure and simple teaching of the New Testament. And those who departed from the truth would gather others around them and declare, we have the truth. We're the only ones that are right, but there is only one body, the church of Jesus Christ. Christ has only one church, and we can all be one body if we will accept and abide by God's word as our only authority, and if we will receive and recognize as brothers and sisters all that are truly his, all that are truly saved. If you're looking for a church... Look for one that stands upon the Word of God because there's one body founded upon Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Now, secondly, he says there's one spirit. Well, that one spirit is who? The Holy Spirit, obviously. In John 16, verses 7 through 11, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit a helper, calls him a comforter comes from a Greek word, paraclete, which means one called alongside of. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us to help us live victoriously and triumphantly and to be an overcomer in our Christian life. Jesus told his apostles, his disciples, he said, it's to your advantage that I go away because if I don't, the, the, the comforter, the helper won't come. But when he comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. He'll take from what is mine and given unto you. Now, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit had something to do with convicting you of your sin and leading you to want to be baptized into that one body. And upon that baptism into Jesus Christ, according to Acts 2.38, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And so the Holy Spirit lives in each Christian and motivates us and guides us by the Word of God. The Spirit inspired the Word of God and the Spirit works hand in hand with the Word to bring change in our lives. There is one Spirit. Then he says there's one hope. And the one hope of the Christian has always been based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it rests upon his return and the promises and the blessings of that future life. Now the hope of those who don't know Christ lies only in this world. And that's sad because their hope is in trying to improve the conditions of this world. Giving people sufficient food and clothing and shelter and entertainment. And, and don't get me wrong, social progress can be pleasant and desirable, but it hadn't kept the crime rate from increasing. And it will never make this world a paradise. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 19, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most to be pitied or most miserable. Right. So don't, don't set your hope on the things of this world. They will perish. They will vanish. You set your hope on things above, things in heaven by claiming Christ as your Lord and Savior. There is only one hope, one hope for eternal life. And that hope lies in the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus Christ is your only hope of being saved for eternity. There is one hope. There's one Lord. Who's the one Lord? Obviously, again, it's Jesus Christ. Acts 10.36 says, He is Lord of all. No pope, no prophet, no teacher, no elder, no preacher, no president, no dictator, or any other man has the authority to act as Lord of the church. No human can act as Lord of the church because there's only one Lord. And that is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. So, you see, there ought to be unity among Christians because we have the same Lord and Savior. And there is only one. There's not one Lord for the Jews and one Lord for the Gentiles. There's not one Lord for the Christian church and another for the Methodists, another for the Baptists, and, and so on. And folks, there is no better way of preserving unity and promoting unity among Christians than by reminding them that they have the same Lord, the same Savior. And when strife and jealousy and contentions arise and when unimportant matters are magnified until they're in danger of dividing the church, we need to practice those, uh, those characteristics of humility and gentleness that Paul talks about in the first three verses, and also remember that we have one Lord and one Savior, then lay our contentions aside and be one again. Because there is one Lord. Fifthly, he says there's one faith. One faith. Now sometimes in the New Testament, the word faith rever refers to a body of teaching a body of doctrine. Other times the word faith refers to what a person individually believes in their heart. 
Now, if we treat faith as this body of teaching or this body of doctrine, we're being told that Jesus and his apostles have taught but one body of doctrine to man, whether they be Jew or Gentile, because there is but one body of doctrine. There is a unity of the Spirit that we must endeavor to maintain. Jude verse 3 speaks of the faith once for all delivered to the saints. That's where the word refers to this body of teaching, this body of doctrine. And there was one faith that the apostles brought and proclaimed to the people based on what Jesus had taught them. There is one faith, not many faiths. There is one, and it's revealed in the Word of God. Now, if the word faith, if we treat faith as the individual act of believing, then the verse affirms that as men became converts, they all express the same faith. Namely, that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Because He is the object of our faith. And there is but one faith. Whether it refers to the body of doctrine or the individual belief that each one has. There's one. Then he says there's one baptism. There's not one baptism for the Jew and another for the Gentile. There's not one baptism for the Christian church and other baptisms for other denominations. There's one. One uniform ordinance of Christ that is to be obeyed by everyone. And since this passage is speaking of how unity was initially created, baptism here, I believe, obviously must be the baptism of the Great Commission. What did Jesus tell the apostles in Matthew, the 28th chapter, verses 18 through 20? Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. That is what I believe is referred to here as the one baptism. It is a baptism that is described as being into Christ, in Romans 6, verse 3, and in Galatians 3, 27. It is referred to as into the name of the Lord Jesus, in Acts 19, verse 5, as in the name of Jesus Christ, in Acts 2, 38, and into the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, in Matthew 28, verse 19. One, baptism. Now, we've already talked in preceding messages about the meaning of the word baptize. It is a Greek word that literally means to plunge, to dip, to submerge, or to immerse. That's what the word means. And it was a word that was named after the sound of the action. That if you drop a, like a rock into a big pool of water, they believed it made the sound bop. And so they called the word after the sound of the action. In Acts chapter 8, when Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, it says they both went down into the water and they both came up out of the water. The scripture says of John the Baptist that he was baptizing near a certain place because there was much water there. And it is clear in scripture that originally baptism was done by immersion. And that was the, if you're a student of church history, Baptism by immersion was the only officially recognized baptism 
for the first 1,300 years of the church. There was no question about it. It wasn't until the 1,300s that men decided they would accept sprinkling as a substitution for immersion. That was man's decision, not God's decision. And it's sad that there's so much disagreement and controversy over this subject. There, not, there, there ought not to be. When, when Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, there was only one kind of baptism practiced. Baptism by immersion for the remission of sin. And the scriptures teach that it's at the time of baptism that God does his work of cleansing us of our sin and placing within us the gift of his Holy Spirit. One baptism. And if you need to find out more information on that subject, please, please come and talk to us. And we'll sit down and open up the scriptures. Then lastly, Paul says there is one God and Father of all. You see, if there were one God for the Jews and another God for the Gentiles, there could never be unity, could there? People who worship different gods can never hope to be united. But that's not how things are in Christianity. There is but one God. One Father of all who have become believers and have been adopted by the Father. The Father that adopted me into his family is the same father that adopted you into his family. And it's one big family. And that's why there is unity, at least why there should be. And listen, there are no other gods. There is one God. One. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he's the only one. He is father of all by creation. He is over all. He's supreme, high above all earthly things. He is through all. He's almighty and all powerful. He can do everything. No barriers limit his power. He is in all. He dwells not only in the high and holy place, but also with those people that have a humble and contrite spirit. God dwells in the hearts of those who belong to him. We are his temple, a living temple made up of living stones. And there is one God and Father of us all. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of us all. These are seven fundamental foundational truths that every Christian and every church ought to be able to unite on. And at New Hope Christian Church, we've always stood upon these truths, and we will continue to stand upon these truths without apology. These seven truths are such a solid basis for unity that it ought to hold Christians together in spite of anything, anything that might try to divide them. Do you have a problem with any one of those seven? I, I hope you don't. Because if you remove or leave out any one of the seven, you will disrupt unity in the body of Christ. If you want to know what's at the core of New Hope Christian Church, look no further than these seven truths. If you want to know why New Hope Christian Church might be different than other churches you might have attended in the past, again, look no further 
than these seven truths. There is a seven-fold fundamental oneness that undergirds the Christian religion. And we must do everything in our power to maintain and preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, as Paul writes. So today is Decision Sunday. Last week we had five precious people that were already united to Christ and were members of His body at large, but they decided to formally unite with New Hope Christian Church. They took the next step in their journey of faith, and they did what they needed to do. What is the next step for you today? And will you take it today? If you need to become a disciple of Jesus and just begin to learn of Him, take that next step and let us know of that. And we will help you and and help disciple you, help you to become a follower of Jesus. If you've already done that, but you've never been a part of, of repenting of your sin or confessing your faith in Christ or, or accepting that one baptism, why not take that next step today? Everything is here. Everything is prepared and ready for you to take that step. If you've already done that, but you're, you're looking for a home church that you can unite with and serve together hand in hand with brothers and sisters in Christ, Take that next step. Come and let us know of that and become a part of New Hope. We'd love to have you. If you've already done that, but you're looking for a place to serve because you've not really been involved, take that next step. Let us help you find a place where you can be involved in ministry and service to the Lord. If you're a Christian, but you have fallen away from the Lord and you haven't been faithful to Him, and you need to repent and get back to Him, take that next step and do that today. That's the message. The ball's in your court. Take the next step as we stand and sing.